I always appreciate how the um, <clears throat> how the Lord leads people to um, to come and give testimony. I just I need to reiterate to you guys that there's that freedom here. Um, <laughs> and even if this place was full to the brim with people, there would still be that freedom. I just need you to know that, like that's a that's a thing. There's so much freedom this morning, and so. I'm also going to ask you for freedom uh, during this time to stop and take drinks of coffee because it's rainy and chilly out. And so just bear with those moments where I need to do this thing here. I've got a compulsive disorder there. (laughs) Oh, man. So this morning, you guys should have received this worksheet. Is there anybody who needs a worksheet? I think that's pretty good. Here, I was going to say you can take these. I don't need them. So this morning, um, today is going to, is stemming from just some of my contemplations that I've had over the past couple of days and weeks as I've been considering our, our, just even my relationship with the father. Um, I've gotten into some, some places where I've just been asking the Lord some questions. And let me just tell you, it's okay to ask the Lord questions. And, and I just want you to know also, as we consider freedom, uh, in Christ and freedom here at the source that, let me just say that contemplative, investigatory (laughs) questioning within our faith is not a bad thing because if anything, what I've found is that the more that I've asked myself tough questions concerning my faith, the stronger my faith gets and not the opposite because uh, yeah, the Lord is just so good in, in, in the way that he does that. And sometimes the questions that we ask, could possibly be cause for concern for others. They would say, whoa, you better be careful asking that question because that's making me question your faith or so on and so forth. And so anyways, I just want to have a free and open heart concerning that for you. There's a way. So I was, I would consider myself from the womb, from my mother's womb to the pew. I grew up in a small Baptist church called Allendale Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas, and we would travel uh, every Sunday. My mom doesn't drive the freeway, and so we would take the back roads to this church every single Sunday, and I just remember as as far back as I can remember sitting, being one of these little kids sitting at the table, and, you know, eating my crackers and coloring my King Davids and my Goliaths and um, my Noah's arcs and, and doing all these different things. And, um, and so I've, I've come up through the Christian system, so to speak. Um, and I've been taught and I've heard plenty of sermons. I've, I've done lots of study and I'm by no means saying that I've grasped everything there is to grasp. Um, and so 
there's a way that I've viewed things my entire life. And I'm not saying that every part is wrong and every part is right. I'm just saying that within your own personal journey, when you reach these points of of maybe asking questions. And I'm not talking about doubting Jesus and the resurrection, like none, none of that, um, foundational, those foundational tenets of the faith, but sometimes we just have questions, right? And I think it's okay to ask questions. And so going back to what I was talking about growing up through the church, I've heard all the Bible stories. And if it's something that I've realized recently is that I've put on a pedestal, I've somewhat venerated and maybe even idolized some of the characters of the Bible. We read the scriptures and we see these amazing feats of faith, right? We see, um, we see these guys who made it, right? Oh, they made it into the scriptures. And we're like, wow, you know, he, and, and, you know, honestly, as, as a kid, we learn these things, but for me, what I've realized is that I've done two things. One I've read the stories of the Bible in such a way that I didn't believe that God could interact with me or would interact with me in the same way that he has the characters of the Bible. And that's, there needs to be some tweaking there. And that's part of what I've been saying. Okay, Lord, you know, what, how do you interact with man? Right? What's the role of the Holy Spirit in in this? And, and just questioning, God, how do you want to interact with me? What's possible for man today, thousands of years removed from the final penning of what is deemed a script, canonical scripture, right? Scripture that's in the canon, the Bible. Um, yeah, God, how are you interacting with people? What are you doing? And so I've thought about that. One, I've looked at the characters of the Bible and I'm saying, that's great for them. And I realized you were doing things differently back then. But here I am today. And what does that mean for me? The second thing I've come to realize, and don't hear me sideways on this, because Satan likes to twist things. Don't hear me sideways on this. The way that I've grown up, through the church, I feel like I've been taught relationship with my Bible more than I've been taught relationship with Jesus, the living God. Jesus used scripture on the road to Emmaus, show, opening the law and the prophets and showing those two men that they all pointed to himself. Jesus used scripture and I believe scripture is valuable. I, just hear me on this. But I feel like my knowledge of Scripture and my understanding and my ability to teach and do word study and make sense of what is happening in Scripture has been my relationship with God over a deeper personal intimacy with the living God. Does that make sense? So... I'm just putting this out there. This is some of the questioning that I've been having and I'm saying, okay, God, how do I have deeper relationship with you as I continue to utilize scripture as my foundation 
And as I study, because for me, it's always been, what does the Bible say? And there's been times where I say, okay, Jesus, I want deeper relationship with you. And so then I open my Bible, which is good, but, but Jesus warned the Pharisees and he said, you search the scripture because you think in them you have eternal life, yet you've refused to come to me. And so just understand that this is my line of thinking. And this is what I'm, what, I'm, what I'm trying to process within myself. I'm saying, Jesus, I feel like my entire life I've had more relationship with Scripture than I have with you. Because I think it's impossible to have intimacy with a book. But it's possible to have intimacy with Christ. And it is possible that the book points us to deeper intimacy with Jesus but what if I'd not been allowing my heart to be pointed to the man, Jesus Christ? And these are just things I'm asking myself because I'm at a point where I'm saying, I want more, Lord. I want the God of the Bible that set precedence in the way that he interacted with man on earth. And the precedent that he set was that he would reveal himself to man right? Supernaturally would reveal himself to man. And so if we look at the scripture and we see all of these men and women throughout the scripture who God supernaturally, spiritually, this invisible God manifesting himself somehow, some way in front of merely men because he wanted us to know him. And that's why the sermon title today is the God who speaks because I believe that we serve a living God who is continually speaking. He will speak through written word, but he also speaks from his mouth. This is just what I believe. We can talk about this if, if you have any kind of objection. But I've minimized myself and I've raised up Bible characters as those that could really intervene with God. And so now I simply live by faith, which is the way we're saved and we're justified. But I believe that God intends for a deeper connection. I think this is his heart for us. I think what we've been talking about over the past couple of weeks is a deeper connection with the Father. And I believe deeper connection with the Father can come through deeper understanding of the revealed Christ within Scripture but I, but I, I wonder about things like some of the instances that happened in Scripture, and I'm going to talk about just a couple of these. And so James five seventeen through eighteen says this: Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Another version version says Elijah was a man just like us. Now let's just talk about Elijah for a second. <laughs> now I don't know. I can't go through and give you every supernatural. God moment in the life of Elijah. But Elijah was this prophet who, who did many, many wonders. He was the prophet who called down fire from heaven to burn up a sacrifice that was like, it was drenched in water, right? So uh, Kim was telling me the other day, she said, 
hey, I think it's the perfect time to burn some of that brush and that wood and these pallets that we have in our backyard. Well, that stuff has been stacked up in our fire pit and it's been raining and raining and raining. And I said, we're probably going to have to wait till it dries out a bit to actually start it. That's me looking at this. I'm looking at science. <laughs> I'm looking at physics. I'm looking at the situation. I'm saying that's not going to burn if I try and light it. Elijah had this sacrifice in this wood that was drenched in water with a trough of water around it and then supernaturally called down fire to consume it. So that which was not possible in the physical was made possible by supernatural intervention. This is Elijah. He was a man just like us. There was nothing special about Elijah. What James, I believe, is doing here, I believe he's, he's equalizing characters of Scripture to us and he's bringing Elijah down at so Elijah was a great great prophet right wasn't it Elijah and Moses that stood on the mount of transfiguration with Jesus and so you would look at that and you would say wow Elijah manifested in the spirit talking to Jesus and Moses after they passed away even though they're eternal right <laughs> And so you think of Elijah and you see him through this lens as like this super prophet. Elijah was taken up into heaven by a chariot of fire. He didn't taste a physical death like we would. So you have this venerated, lifted up prophet of the Old Testament. You've got James saying, hey, look, Elijah was a man just like us with a nature just like ours. So you take all of the works and all of that supernatural interaction with the Father, all of this ability, all of this anointing, all of this spirit gifting that he had to move and do the work of the Father that manifested supernaturally. And James says he was just like us. So just because we have the perception that somebody is holier or better or more gifted or they have more spirit or more anointing or whatever it is. James is saying, look, he's a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain for three years and six months and it didn't rain on the land. And then he prayed again and the sky gave rain and the land produced fruit. Just before that scripture, it says the prayer of the righteous man is powerful and effective. And so James is making a case and he's saying, look, we've got to get out of this mentality that there's something special or significant or unattainable, more significant or more unattainable with these, these characters, these, these people that we've maybe venerated. And he's saying, let's, let's realize that we're all on the same level here. He's a man just like us. But with earnest prayer, there was power. With earnest prayer, there was supernatural interaction and intervention. And I just think about that. And I'm like, so what does that mean for us? Check this out. In Acts chapter 7, verse 30 through 32, it says, After 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him, that's Moses, in the wilderness of Mount Sinai, in the flame of a burning bush. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight. As he was approaching to look at it, the voice of the Lord came. I am the God of your fathers, 
the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. So Moses began to tremble and did not dare to look. If we realize something about this instance, we all know the story, Moses, he has this interaction with the burning bush, and uh, you know God says, I've chosen you to to uh, let my people go and you're going to go to Pharaoh. And he, Moses has this, this crisis, this uh, identity crisis and this time of worthlessness. You know, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. And is arguing with God saying, I'm not good enough. And God's still saying, I chose you. But what I find interesting about this situation, and I'm just presenting these instances to you because just as I'm looking at these and wrestling and wonder how this relates and maybe what the Lord wants to show me, I would submit to you to work through the same process and maybe look at some of these instances and say, God, what does this mean? And how would you interact with me? Because that's the question. My question is, God, what is the nature of our relationship? How do you interact with me today? And what's the, what is the potential of that interaction? And maybe, and, and I just think of that for it because I feel like I've come, I've come with a limited view for a long time in my life. And I'm just asking the Lord and I'm looking to scripture and saying, what does this mean? <clears throat> So Moses, we know he was, um, he was in Egypt. He killed an Egyptian that was messing with his homie, right? So he kills the guy, he murders him, and he flees. <clears throat> and he's in the wilderness. For 40 years he's there. What I find interesting is that Moses, apart as he had run from his calling, right? He, um, he had murdered a guy. He separated himself from civilization. He wasn't a part of any kind of organized religious entity or organization or submitting to an elder board or he wasn't, you know, under some discipleship model. He He's away. He's as far away as he can get. And he's out in the wilderness. And, of course, the Lord had purpose in the wilderness because he's learning what to eat, what not to eat, you know, how to, how to live in the wilderness, and then he takes God's people back into the wilderness for another 40 years. So like this guy, 80 years in the wilderness. Goodness. Sorry, Moses. But as far away as he could possibly get into a remote place of solitude, God met him there. And that's what blows my mind more about this story than anything. Do you remember the scripture where Dave, David starts to talk and he says, where could I go? Where could I run from your spirit? If I go down into the depths of, of Sheol, you'll be there. If I ascend to the highest of heights, you'll be there. Right? He's saying no matter where I go, you'll be there. We serve a God that is everywhere and anywhere. And he can choose to interact with us regardless of what environment we're in regardless of what amount of information and knowledge we have access to, regardless of access to the body of Christ. And, I'm, and don't hear me saying any of these things are, are bad in and of themselves. I remember being out in, in the woods. I can't remember what I was doing or where I was. 
But I just remember kind of being in a remote place and my, you know, cell phone's not working and you don't have uh, access to the uh, World Wide Web. You can't text or check Facebook or tweet or call somebody and it's just you and you're out in the middle of nowhere. And I remember saying to God, and mind you, I didn't have a Bible on me, right? I mean, maybe I had my phone, I could access the app. But I just remember saying this to the Lord. I say, I say, God, I remember the story of Moses and how he was in the wilderness and you met him there. And there were things he didn't have access to. I said, God, I, I want to know the God that would meet me in that place. I want to know the God that would show up if I was in the middle of nowhere, cut off from civilization, cut off from internet and knowledge and phones. And if I was like castaway, <laughs> Tom Hanks on an island with a volleyball and a skate, an ice skate, <laughs> I would want to know the God that would show up there by his spirit, supernaturally revealing himself to me so that I could have intimate relationship with him. And this is what God has done through, if you look through scripture, he chooses men and he, he decides to reveal himself to them and initiates covenant and relationship and purpose. And I thought, I want to know that God. I want to know that God. Now, granted, we live in the year 2018 and we have access to all kinds of knowledge. We have access to all kinds of sermon Sermons, scripture, commentary. I mean, commentary is endless. We could watch endless hours of sermons. There's something like either billions or trillions of hours worth of YouTube videos currently on YouTube and millions of hours of content uploaded every single day. I think it is can be possible to consume Millions and millions of hours of knowledge about God and not know God. And so, this comes back to my, my issue of where I'm saying, how do I continue to move into that deeper relationship with you and utilize the tools that have been given us, the truth that's been given us, the fellowship and relationship that's been given us, and not make that the relationship over true intimacy with God. Because I think far too long I've seen them as one and the same. In my past, when I've decided that I would come back to the Lord, the first thing I would do would be go to church. That's a good thing. But what I rarely did was get on my knees where I'm at and connect with the Lord. I felt as if I were, in order for me to truly recommit my life, I have to go to a church gathering and I have to wait for them to ask for someone to raise their hand to rededicate and I have to walk up and I have to tell somebody for this to actually be a thing. What if I purposed in my heart to do so and then that day never came? You know, God's like, well, you know, Jason, I just, I'm, I'm really appreciative of your heart to, uh, to repent and to give your life back to me. Um, and so, you know, I really hope you get up and go to a church service tomorrow so that you can really make that a thing. I know it sounds like I'm mocking, but this has been my view of God. 
And for far too long, I had seen the activities surrounding the Christian life as the Christian life. Neglecting the foundational intimate relationship with the God who throughout history has revealed himself to man, regardless of where they were or what knowledge they had access to. And so I just think about these things. God, what, what do you want me to do with this? Check this out. 1 Samuel 3, verse 1 through 10. As a kid, I loved, I loved this story. And I think if anything, when I, if anything got me to really begin to listen for the Lord and to believe that I could hear the Lord speak, it was this story when I was a kid. Because I remember laying in my bed saying, God, if you want to talk to me, I'm here. As a kid, so good. The boy Samuel served in the Lord, served the Lord in Eli's presence. The boy Samuel, so he was a young boy, served the Lord in Eli's presence. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare and prophetic visions were not widespread. So there was some silence from the Lord. One day, Eli, whose eyesight was failing, was lying in his room. Before the lamp of God had gone out, Samuel was lying down in the tabernacle of the Lord where the ark of God was located. Then the Lord called Samuel and he said, uh, Here I am. Um, he ran to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me. I didn't call, Eli replied. Go back, uh, go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Once again, the Lord called Samuel. <laughs> Samuel got up, went to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me. I didn't call my son, he replied. Go back and lie down. Now Samuel had not yet experienced the Lord. Interesting, huh? Here's what's interesting. Let's paint this picture. Samuel, learning under Eli, serving in the tabernacle of the Lord, daily service, priestly service in the tabernacle of the Lord. As an apprentice, to a priest of God, the boy Samuel is doing and learning about the temple, doing the tasks, learning about. He's gaining knowledge and he's gaining know-how. Yet scripture tells us he had not yet experienced the Lord. I find that very, very interesting. How many of us in the past or at some point in time have done the work of the Lord in his name. We've done ministry. We've done tasks. Tim, you've done a lot of tasks. God bless you. <laughs> We've done a lot of tasks together. How many pianos have we moved? <laughs> How many lights have we set up and torn down? How many times have we, have we went uh, storage diving, <laughs> climbing on top of, I mean, just, how many times we loaded, unloaded a, a trailer, right? Just Let me just tell you that within ministry, there are a lot of tasks that can be completed. And there's a lot of, we can know how to do ministry. We can know how to church plant. We can know how to make a service happen. We can know how to run a kid's ministry. We can, we can do service in the tabernacle and not experience the Lord yet. Now Samuel had not yet experienced the Lord because the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. 
Once again, for the third time, the Lord called Samuel. He got up, went to Eli and said, here I am. You called me. Then Eli understood that the Lord was calling the boy. He told Samuel, go and lie down. If he calls you, say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Then the Lord came, stood there and called as before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel responded, speak for your servant is listening. And when I read that earlier, I think it was last night or the night before when I read that and Samuel says, speak, your servant is listening. I just thought, what an amazing mentality to have as a believer in Christ. Imagine if we embraced that mentality every time that we got into a quiet place, every time that we went here or there, we're at the store or in our vehicle or at work or trying to counsel somebody or trying to help somebody who's going through a hard time. Or even if I'm just meeting you for lunch and it's just going to be a hangout time. What if I had the mentality and just always in my heart and my spirit, I had the attitude and I was poised at the position of the heart that says, speak your servants listening that I could continually on a daily basis, minute by minute, moment by moment, have a heart that says, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. That I would position myself and be open to hear the God who speaks. He speaks. Can also, as I open the scripture, can say, speak, Lord, your servant's listening. But as I journey through life, if I adopted that attitude and I just, I remember being a boy laying on my bed, just laying down to go to sleep. And I'm like, okay, God, (laughs) you know, that was a habit. I just always prayed. I was always listening. I I was always wondering what he was going to say or if he was going to speak. I had childlike expectation of a God to speak to me. I read that scripture and I said, and, and, and I heard the story. And so I know that the Bible teachers at that point in time, my Sunday school teacher just said to us the very same thing. When you lie down to go to sleep, if you hear the Lord calling you say, speak Lord. And it wasn't like they said, well, this was just a one-time instance where God was speaking to Samuel. And so it was just for him. And that's just one story in the Bible. And in this instance, that's how God spoke. But now, you know, just an adult telling me to a kid, Hey, this is a really cool story. Check this out. God wants to talk to you. He wants to speak to you. And so if when you're going to sleep, like just have an ear to hear, say, God, I want to, I want you to say to me, whatever you want to say to me. And I want to hear what you have to say. Right. 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 Yeah. Many will come on that day and say, Lord, Lord, haven't we prophesied in your name and cast out demons? And, and he'll say away from me. I never knew you again. There's that relational desire that the father has for us. God always desired to tabernacle. It means to come and dwell among us. God has always desired to tabernacle among his people. And so when Christ came, he came as Emmanuel, which means God with us. 
and the with us, right? And it even says that the Lord stood there. That I mean, do you are you guys reading this? <laughs> the Lord came, stood there, and called to Samuel. Do we believe in a in an ever present presentable in the in the sense that God could present himself to us here for the purpose of intimacy? He did it to Paul. <laughs> he showed up. Right? Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? I just think that's so awesome. Speak for your servant is listening. We serve a God who speaks. And we can have that attitude and that mentality. One last thing. Hebrews eleven six. Now without faith, it is impossible to please God. For the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek him. Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. Knock and the door will be opened. Seek and you will find. Hebrews tells us, without faith, it's impossible to please God. If we're going to draw near to God, we have to believe that he will reward those who seek him. Do you know what the reward of seeking God is? Finding him. (laughs) The reward of seeking God is God himself. Everything that Jesus did on the cross was not just to, to pay for sin and to keep us out of hell. When we give a get out of jail or get out of hell free card gospel, we are missing the most important, dynamic, life-altering reward of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is God himself. In the Garden of Eden, man fell, he sinned, Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden, and there were two angels that were put with swinging, flaming swords saying you can't get back into the Garden of Eden because right in the center of the garden was the tree of life, which if they ate of that tree, they would gain eternal life. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. And the gospel of Christ is is life and our reward is him. It's back into Eden where there's a tree that we can eat from that gives us all truth and all understanding, but Jesus is that tree. And we get to be with him again in that place. And so I just find this word uh, reward interesting. I looked at multiple versions and it kept coming back with this reward and this reward word. And uh, the reward is this, uh, it's paying what is due. God pays what is due those who seek him. If they seek him, we get him. So I just asked this question. What is, what is due when someone calls on you? If your child calls on you, what is due them? A response and attention, right? What is due when someone seeks out relationship with you? Relationship is due them especially if you have a spouse or a loved one or whoever it may be, a mother to a son or a daughter, and they seek out relationship with you from a, an authentic place, their reward is relationship. And so God rewards those who diligently seek him. God rewards those who seek him. It's your only blank 
to fill in for today. And so with all of this, I just present all of these these little stories and these scriptures that maybe will help you consider what your relationship with God is like. And maybe you've missed some things or maybe you've thought things would be different or maybe you've minimized the importance of you in the eyes of God. Elijah was a man just like us. He had the same nature that we do. David writes in the Psalms and he asked the question, what is man that you are mindful of him? Sometimes I wonder, right? David says, I look at creation. I look at the sun and the moon and the stars and the galaxies. I look at that. I look at the work of your hands, God. I look at all of creation. And I think, what am I that you would be mindful of me? So he's saying he looks at the nature of God to create the expanse and the sun, the moon, the stars, right? It says that he breathes galaxies. (sighs) Milky Way, right? (sighs) Andromeda. Those are the only two galaxies I know. He breathes. <laughs> and there's galaxies, and he holds the oceans in the palm of his hand. Right? It's all there. And he's this, ma- this vast, grand, loving, infinite, uncreated creator. And David looks at that and he says, Who am I? Who am I? But then in Zechariah, we read that the Lord sings praises over his people. He sings praises over us. He loves us. He knows the amount of hair on our head. He knows every one of our names. He holds all of our tears in a, in a jar, <laughs> right? He loves us so much. And so I think maybe just what the Lord is saying today is, one, I, I want to know you. And two, he's saying, don't minimize yourself in light of others around you. Because I believe in the same way that God showed up to Moses in a burning bush, in the same way that he spoke to Samuel as he's laying down to go to bed, in the same way that he interacted and manifested his power through Elijah, is, it's the same way he can, can and wants to interact with us and work through us. Right? The comparison trap is a trap. And so Jesus comes, and Jesus completely changes the landscape of religion and institutes what is kind of a crazy way to view relationship with God. And he says, Pray like this Our Father who art in heaven. Right? He says, our daddy in heaven, our Abba. The Pharisees and religious leaders and those who had seen their relationship with God through a one lens for all of their lives then hear that there's a different way to perceive relationship with God. And they're like, what? <laughs> you know, I believe some, some people were like, what? God is Father? Gosh, that blows my mind. That sounds awesome. And some people were like, blasphemy. <laughs> Crucify him. Because Jesus comes 
and he shows the true intent of the heart of the Father for his creation. And it's to know, to know. I keep doing this because it's God and us, and the two become one. There's a scripture that talks about, um, I believe it's in Corinthians where it talks about there being, um, let me see. It talks about um, sexual immorality. And it's interesting because Paul talks about how when we sin sexually, that we sin against our own body. And he talks about that in light of adultery and how when two people come together, they become one flesh. The two become one. And I've always seen that through the lens of marriage and how, yeah, the two will become one flesh, right? Consummation, there's a coming together. But I never looked at it from the spiritual side, and Paul actually talks about it in, in, that, in that verse, and he says, don't you know that those who are in the Lord become one spirit with the Lord? <clears throat> The physical symbolism of man and wife coming together, becoming one, is used to symbolize a coming together and being one with the Lord and Spirit. I find that interesting. Jesus comes and he shifts the perception of what it's like to be in relationship with God. And this is what repentance is all about. <laughs> we've seen things a certain way. We've thought a certain way. <clears throat> we've existed in relationship with God a certain way. But everything about everything that Jesus has done and about who God is, is continually helping us to have a greater view and a greater understanding not only of who God is, but of who we are in relation to God, and that his desire for us is to be one with us. Jesus, in chapter 17 of the Gospel of John, says, I pray that as you and I, Father, are one, that they would be one. Jesus begins to pray for us that we would experience this oneness with God, this intimate relationship. And so... I present all of this to you this morning for further consideration in your own hearts as you leave. And I don't think it's beyond the realm of acceptance or being reasonable to begin to ask God the question. Now, God, what what is this relationship all about? How can I know you more? And just the other morning I was praying and I don't know if I was just being dramatic or what, but I was like, God, I want to, I want to know you more, God. I was like, ah, I felt like I was trying to like, ah, strain forth deeper intimacy, like striving, can I, you know, just 
will it forth. But I see in my own life where I've had limitations in my thought processes. I've seen in my own life where I've minimized my importance to the Lord in comparison to those who had supernatural revelation throughout Scripture and redemptive history. But I realize, and I think that God was setting precedence for how he wants to interact with all of his people for all time. In a deep, intimate, supernatural, revelatory manner that requires faith to believe that he exists and that he'll reward those who diligently seek him. Do we believe that? Do we truly believe that? And so I just hope that maybe this will open something up for us, that maybe we'll... we'll Get out of the comparison trap. I keep going back to that. Maybe we've been comparing. Maybe we think that God's interaction with the men and women of the Bible is so far beyond what he would want to do today. So, we'll pray. God, help us to have hearts that would say, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. God, I pray that you would bless us to be a people that listen. And I pray that in our minds we would repent. We would have mind-altering happening. (laughs) Something would happen in our mind, God, that we would begin to believe or believe more that you're the God who speaks and you're the God that interacts with your creation in an intimate way, in a real way, and that you use everything around us. You use people. You speak through people prophetically, words of knowledge, words of wisdom, teaching. God, you use the gifts of the Spirit and others to get to us. You use scripture to point us to Jesus who points us to you to get to you. God, you use encouraging words. God, you use it all. And so father, help us to not have to not be okay with just having knowledge about you that we would move into a true knowing that word conosco, that knowing, being familiar with, being acquainted with you, God. And so I just pray that you just break open anything you need to break open, God, and you hit hearts where you need to hit hearts, God, and you change minds where you need to change minds, Father God. And I just pray for, um, I just pray that you keep out the words and the influence of the enemy, that he would try and twist, it, that he would try and it, he would twist and, and pervert things that are that are that were said today or things that maybe people will be thinking as they leave here, God. We just pray for a pure planting of the seed of your word to have fallen on good soil and that it would do in us what you mean for it to do, God. And I just thank you for freedom to ask questions and explore and conversate and consider and meditate. Um, and that we know, Lord, that... Um, you're just going to bring about the fruit that you desire from uh, from the preaching and teaching of, of your word, your heart.
for us. And so we thank you. We love you in Jesus name. Amen.